Startups join Techstars with aspirations, goals, and a vision for what they want to achieve. Fast forward three months, and Demo Day is a chance for these companies to showcase their growth and future plans. But have you ever wondered what happens behind the scenes when faced with the task of condensing all that progress into a two-minute pitch? I'm Jag Singh. I'm a serial founder and entrepreneur turned investor, and I'm also the managing director of Techstars Berlin. Welcome to the lead up, where we'll speak with one company from the current Techstars Berlin cohort in each episode. We'll find out what really goes through these founders' minds at each stage of building a business in an accelerator while preparing for the big reveal to investors and the community. I also have Umara Javid, an associate from our accelerator program, helping me here with the interview. Hi, I'm Amara. Friends call me Tinks, and I'm a former associate of Textiles London and currently a senior associate at Textiles Berlin. Today, we're speaking to the founders of Creatext, who help B2B sales teams write more effective emails and book more meetings. I'm joined by Lucas and Jerome. My name is Lucas. I'm co-founder and CEO at Creatext. Super happy to be here. And I'm Jerome, co-founder and CTO of Creatext. So let's give the audience your elevator pitch. With Creatext, we help B2B sales teams who want to consistently book first meetings with new prospects, but who currently struggle from low reply rates. And it takes a lot of guesswork to figure out what works in emails and what doesn't. For example, which words and phrases work and which don't. And so we're replacing this guesswork in sales emails with hard data. We analyze all emails a sales team sends out, find out what specifically works for this team, and then coach the team to use language that converts so that they can book more meetings. So, Jerome, you're the CTO. What are the responsibilities? At Cratex, I focus on the engineering side. I basically build the product, the whole development process, but I also build the foundation for, in the near future, having a high-performance development team. While Jerome's building the product, I'm doing everything around it, especially when it comes to the go-to-market and thinking about what our strategy will be for the future, how we'll actually not just build a product, but a company that we can scale and actually build, build a big business around this. And sometimes I also get a little bit to do coding with Jerome, but that's just sometimes. That's just when you have free time. Pretty that much. 20 <laughs> minutes between 2 and 3 a.m. Yeah, especially Sunday mornings after brunch, when Lucas and I have brunch, that's when we, when Lucas just can't just resist the urge to get his hands on the data analytics part and uh, relive I, his dreams. I can totally see that. So diving it back three months or even more than that, what did it feel like when Jag made that call and told you that you'd been accepted into Techstars Berlin? What were your sort of hopes and expectations of the program? We're super psyched um, about this because we were really hoping to get into Techstars because already during the interview process, we had met quite a few mentors and we just really wanted to work with them and uh, also work with you Jack because we realized you just make us go beyond our uh, boundaries and uh, push ourselves and that's something we yeah we're really looking forward to but at the same time it was also quite a nerve-wracking process Jack told us that on one of the calls oh yes so you're Almost in, but not quite. And basically, Jack gave us uh, a few more days to prove to him that we were actually worth uh, being on the program. And uh, so this was quite a thrilling weekend for us. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a super fun weekend because we really worked hard and got a lot of stuff done over that weekend. And that also proved to us that we wanted to work with Jack because Jack was able to make us 
do stuff, and that was cool. I'm pretty sure I owe your your families and significant others some flowers for ruining that weekend for them. And I remember that the series of events very vividly because you applied to Techstars with a, with a pretty radically different product. Why was that product doomed to fail, and how did you maneuver around that? We started with, you might know, autocomplete from Gmail. And uh, basically what we did for the, uh, the product that Jack is referring to is we reverse engineered Google Smart Compose, so the feature of Google that predicts the next few words. So we brought it basically to LinkedIn, and then the plan was to roll it out to the whole internet afterwards. But we had a few test users. We talked to them regularly and quickly found out that this was a, a very nice, but just a nice to have feature. So some of them loved it, some of them liked it, but none of them really loved it. And none of them were really ready to say, pay anything for it every month, for example. And so it was very clear at that point that this would be a very hard thing to make into a real product. Also, we had a very broad target group and no very clear early adopter profile. And so we were like fishing in different areas and that made it very difficult. Other part was we started with a solution and not with a problem, which is very obvious that you shouldn't do that, but we still did it. And yeah, that's also one of many reasons why this product wasn't working out. And, and, and again, going back to the events from six months ago when you were applying, what really impressed me about your team and the reason why you weren't an absolute no, you were no, but actually I, I was leaning towards yes. And I was trying to figure out how to get you across the line was I, I actually was really impressed with the team. And I was impressed with the amount of progress that you'd made even during the interview process. And you'd kept me updated. You'd kept me in the loop. It was easy to see your working. And therefore I knew that you were going to build something cool. And I knew you were the team that was going to do it. I was a little bit concerned that let's talk about how you maneuvered that, how you repositioned that company, and maybe you can tell us what kind of validation you're getting. The basis for the repositioning here happened actually during Mentor Madness. So during the beginning of the Techstars program where we met 80 mentors over the course of two weeks. And after the first two days, we completely iterated our pitch because over the first couple of days, we had been getting feedback that we needed to focus and we needed a very clear target group. And so after the first two days, we changed our pitch from writing faster to writing more effectively and actually getting your goals done with, with your writing. And what was striking was that mentors loved it, and especially mentors who had a background in sales. So we decided to really focus on the sales space and especially people working at the top of the funnel and sales development representatives whose main job is to reach out to uh, to potential customers and book a demo call with them and then after mentor madness we started really digging into this and interviewed a lot of people i think we interviewed over 50 people over the first weeks of the techstars program starting with the mentors uh, who were experts in sales and then came up with a bunch of ideas prioritized them based on how much people want them and based on also how fast we can build them. And then actually came up with what we're working on right now because this was something that a lot of people wanted and that we could build a first version of by the end of the program. And what was so striking was that actually the nature of our user interviews changed quite a bit to the previous uh, product we were working on. Now people were excited about what we were doing and people said, hey, I want this. And if you can really build, this will help my sales team be more effective, book more meetings and therefore make more money. So it was a very 
clear value. And people in interviews telling us, okay, so when can I start using it? That was like a phrase that we had read, but never experienced on the past product. And that was just amazing to have people say, okay, I, I want it, give it to me, where is it? And that was the moment when you, okay, this is the right product. Something I'm really curious about, I want to learn more about is the synergy between the both of you and your relationship, because I think it's amazing. And half of the investors would say, build a start with your friend. And the other half would say, don't ever build a startup with your friend. So what's your take on this? And yes, you do get bonus points if you can finish each other's sentences. Yeah, we actually love working together and building a startup as friends because we know each other. We've spent tons of time working together now actually over seven years. What's it been like managing like a friendship, a good relationship with like processing feedback and when you're creating a product like CreateText, how do your engineering backgrounds complement each other? Yeah. yeah, Lucas and I have worked on so many different projects together over the past seven years. So we studied together, then moved to Paris together, studied statistics and machine learning together there. And in Berlin, we, we, were, we were the only two econ majors to take math classes. Then in Paris, we were the only two Germans to be in a school of a lot of French people. So we were always basically that group of two in several different places. And I think that really uh, bonded us together and gave us a lot of time to to learn how to work together. So we did hackathons on the weekends. We worked consulting projects, which were also super interesting. And a lot of times with natural language processing, but also just other things in machine learning. And basically, we just continued working together. So every year, we did more and more hackathons, more and more projects. And then at some point, it was just doing that full time. And that's what we do now. So basically, it was just a continuation. And that's actually also what's so cool about what we're building right now, because um, just analyzing all the emails that a sales team sends out and then finding what works and what doesn't, that is exactly what we are really strong at. For the last couple of years, we've always been working with text data and analyzing this sort of stuff. Um, so this is why we are super excited that we can actually build this product. And regarding building a company as friends, it's also super helpful because we know each other and can also help each other, not only on the professional topics, but also when things might not go as expected, because when you build a startup, it's not all only a road <laughs> upwards. There are um, a lot of things that might not work as expected. And then it's super good to just have uh, Jerome there as a friend and we can just yeah. talk and about it uh, and very openly about yeah, it. And when we, for example, when I, in the morning, when we have a little stand up or something, we can quickly tell, oh, yeah, the other person is tired today. And important discussions maybe shouldn't happen when I know, oh, Lucas seems a bit tired today. Maybe let's have a big discussion tomorrow when we're both more awake or something. So basically reading the other person is, is also very important in, in finding how to make decisions, when to make these decisions. And that has helped us in the past a lot. For our listeners out there, I think many entrepreneurs don't necessarily know where to start when they're selling. Sometimes it's because they've never sold to a specific customer segment. Where and how did you start? And how did you think about that process? We started with the feedback we got from mentors with focus and by always making the target group smaller. Just to start it to really understand our target customers, which are sales development representatives, by talking to as many of them as possible by learning about their daily challenges, understanding how, what, what they care about and what was helpful during this process were not only the interviews we were doing with our target group, but also the helpful advice from our mentors and especially mentors who, who are experts in the field. And for example, we 
have one very close mentor who built a product for the same target group previously, and it was super, super um, valuable to get his knowledge and his expertise and also his take on what might work and what might not work. And because we, we're seeing validation, we, we know that we're on the right track. So many people say they want to use this, they want to have this, and they're willing to pay money for this. And of course, there's also the point of view that we also asked ourselves, okay, why should we build a sales product? So we have not worked in sales before, that is, that is obvious. However, this quote from Steve Jobs, you cannot connect the dots looking forward, but only looking backwards. That's what's happening right now. So we are looking at the, at the sales space. And the more we look into it, the more we understand that there needs to be a lot of statistics and natural language processing uh, problems solved. That's actually what most of sales is, right? It's recognizing certain patterns for this target group, for this kinds of people. How do they respond to this sentence, to this wording, to this length and structure and set of that? So currently, a lot of sales teams, they look at these messages and there's experts that look at like samples of messages and try to understand what's going on. And they do that very well, obviously. But there's a lot of things that just cannot be seen with a human eye by looking at five messages. A lot of things are patterned deep down in the sales messages. And I think that statistics and natural language processing the right, is the right tool set to bring these insights up to the surface. And then have somebody who has experience in the sales space interpret them and say, okay, if the subject line should be like this, or if that word appears more often in the good messages, okay, what can I do with it? How can I teach my SDRs to improve their sales outreach? Okay, so there's a lot of time between Mentor Madness and Demo Day, almost nine weeks. What did you do in the lead up to Demo Day? What did you think about what was important to communicate to the audience at Demo Day, which is mostly investors? We divided the time between Mentor Madness and Demo Day into three parts. Basically, it was defining the product, going out and finding uh, customers, and then preparing for Demo Day. And we sprinted through these three parts, just defining what the product should be in the first part by talking to a bunch of potential customers, then getting some of these customers on board and actually getting data from them. And during the program, we analyzed over 1 million emails already. And then the third part was actually building our story and preparing for the demo day. And that was actually, yeah, also another sprint, talking to a bunch of mentors with people who have experience in, in fundraising and investing and was helpful also to get to know what's going well already and what we might have to work on. For example, then <laughs> a couple of days ago, I pitched what we were doing to a mentor and the feedback I was getting was, there's zero flow in your pitch, it sounds boring, and there's way too much am. So that was probably what I had to hear. And it really helped me iterate, sit down, and just improve it. For what it's worth, I think your final pitch did knock it out of the park. Whoever that mentor is, I, I owe them a beer or two. Lucas, I wonder if you could also talk to us a little bit about one of the challenges that many founders face, especially in the early stages of building a, a company, is pricing, right? It's the third rail. You never really want to touch it because it's always wrong. When I was raising a Series B round, uh, we probably didn't have our pricing strategy. But for Craytext, how have you been thinking about pricing we have a pretty clear way of thinking about pricing. The way sales works is that it's pretty clear when you're bringing ROI to the table. We say we improve your numbers, so it should be measurable and you can track how much we actually help the sales team make more sales. So companies make more revenue with Createx and then we can take a part of that additional revenue. 
And we are experimenting and trying to f find the right pricing point for this. We've had people from, for example, a CEO t told us, hey, if you price it at multiple hundred dollars uh, per user per month, this will probably be too much. But if you price it at a hundred dollars per user per month, that's a no-brainer for me and I'll sign up my 40 people right away. So we're experimenting th with this. So it sounds super exciting what you're building and we'd love to know more about the wider vision that Createx has for the future. This is just the beginning. We're not stopping with uh, sales intelligence based on finding out what works for each company in their sales process. In the end, we really want to completely automate the whole sales outreach process, not with templates, but with uniquely personalized messages. Yeah, humans are not going away, but the machine can help humans much, much more. Right now, it's such a manual process. A human has to think about, hey, how should I write this? Um, I have to send the message. And it's a lot of guessing going on. And the, and the machine can help the human become much, much better. Also, one part is that a lot of sales experts currently told us, okay, human relationship building, that's the most important part of sales. And right now, by sending out thousands of templates that look the same for every recipient, that is not helping human relationship building. People want to pay for this. Uh, sales teams are pretty much willing to pay for any low friction product. So that's not difficult to set up. That helps them make more sales. And we're doing that. Sales engagement is a super manual process today. You type a message. Next time you change it a little bit. It's a lot of guesswork. You might... It might have not worked the last time, so this time you replace a sentence by another one. If you're really crazy, you might run an A-B test, but that takes a lot of work. Usually you don't have the time for that because you have to send hundreds of emails. And this is essentially something that's faced by every sales team in the world. There are over 3 million SDRs in Europe and North America, and their only job is to book meetings with prospects. And we want to help them do that better. And right now, sometimes you can use templates to automate things, but then the only things in there that you personalize are maybe the name and the company name or the location. And it's not really a human connection. It's not a, a very good, good email yet. And in a world where pretty much everything else is data-driven, in a world where soon we'll have autonomous vehicles driving around, it seems logical to us that... Also, sales engagement should be more based on data um, and based on strategies that are proven to work. So, Lucas, here's the challenge. There's so much advice out there on what calls to actions work. And I think just as someone, as an investor and, and as someone who's running an accelerator, I probably get pitched by sales consultants offering to run workshops for our founders on, on how to think about calls to action. What's your take on that? There's a lot out there. For example, you go to blogs where you can read articles about what calls to action to use, what subject lines to use, etc. But there's one thing about this. It's super generic. It's not personalized to your specific situation. And the same subject lines or calls to action don't work in every geography or in every industry and for each company. So what we're doing is essentially similar to what you can read on, on a blog, but personalized to your company on your own emails. And so currently we have already analyzed over 1 million emails from pilot customers in the US, in Germany and for France. And already there we see that culture, geography, like Lucas said, 
plays a huge role. There's a difference between how German sales teams work and how American sales teams work. And so the, the generic advice from HubSpot blogs and other articles, it just doesn't work for every company. And we want to bring that advice in a personal matter to you. Are you able to debunk some startup myths for us? or some myths about being an entrepreneur? Uh, definitely one myth I think that we can debunk is working more hours doesn't build a better startup. We focus on output and output is working hard, but working well and working while being focused. And for that, you need a good night of sleep. And so we focus, for example, on uh, instead of getting six hours, getting eight hours, and that will make us more productive and generate more outcome. Or something that I, for example, heard was people like Sam Altman, which I think is a great uh, entrepreneur, but having vitamin deficiencies, things like that. So a lot of the whole startup atmosphere is about cutting down on things. Oh, no, you don't have time to eat an apple. And we believe that to be your best, to really bring outcome, you need to focus also on being ready to be, to perform. Not maybe a myth, but just general advice is to actually start with the problem. We heard it so many times, but we never put it into practice until now. And actually, when we first started out, and I still see the irony in this, is we were thinking about, hey, we are good at NLP and good at machine learning. So why don't we read all the research papers from the latest NLP conferences and find out the best technology to then build a startup based on that? And of course, that's a terrible strategy. And <laughs> the irony here is that while we were reading these research papers we were also reading lean startup by eric reese and still we didn't get it i'm actually glad you didn't apply at that point because that would have been an immediate rejection <laughs> but now i think we're on a good track to actually solving a problem that people care about i definitely say you're on the right track so lucas and jerome thank you for coming in to share and to our audience especially thanks for listening don't forget, we have nine other amazing companies from Techstars Berlin sharing their experiences in this Lean Up series, a part of the Techstars Podcast Network. 